You know, it's the last Sunday of the year. Last Sunday of the year. Next Sunday will be 2013, first Sunday in the new year. And uh, as I was praying and everything about, about today, I just felt like, you know, sometimes it's a, it's, a, it's a good point to reflect. It's a good opportunity to look back on things and look forward into new stuff that's coming. And, uh, and uh, so with that in, in, in mind today, I want to talk to you guys about moving forward. And I want to give you an illustration that kind, of, that kind of paints a picture of what I'm trying to talk about this morning. It was about uh, maybe around seven years ago, I was in a wedding and... One of the other groomsmen had done a tour in Iraq with the 256, the first, first time they went over to Iraq. And I was asking him some questions about that because I remember at the time there was a, a YouTube video that was kind of, kind of popular and kind of controversial. There was a video of a, of a contractor driving a truck. They were in a convoy. And uh, the camera angles like looking out the guy's truck window. And the, uh, the convoy gets ambushed. And it, I mean, it's scary and it's raw footage. It's, you know, and it's scary and the guy's freaking out and rightfully so, you know. And, uh, but you see a couple Humvees that are in the front. I mean, they just like floor it. They just mash the gas and boom, take off. Well, the guy's truck, like his engine had gotten shot. And so he's stuck there and he is freaking out. Like feeling like he's been left alone, right? Cause there, there goes the army guys. <laughs> and I'm stuck here in this truck that won't move anywhere. So he's freaking out and everything, and there was a bunch of, I remember the talk at the time was just like, oh, how could those army, those soldiers left that guy, and blah, 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 and there was, you know, oh, both sides of the story, all just doing all this stuff. So I thought, well, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask Mike. He was over there. He did that kind of stuff. He knows. I said, Mike, you know, what do you think about this? You heard about this or whatever. And he said, oh, man, he said, dude, I'll tell you, one of the things that they always tell us, like, if you're in an ambush, dude, you got to get moving forward and quick. If you stay right there, you're staying like right where they want you to stay, where they can take you out. He said, we, we got to get moving forward. He said, probably what happened is the guys with the guns, the good guys with the guns, move forward to engage the bad guys. And along those lines is what I want to talk to you guys today about. Moving forward. We can't just stay where we're at. We got to move forward, okay? You guys with me? You tracking? All right, so let's turn in our word this morning to Isaiah chapter 43. And I want to read to you two passages of Scripture here this morning, along the lines of moving forward. Isaiah 43, the Bible reads, Do not earnestly remember the former things, and neither consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Everyone say, new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive and know it? Will you not give heed to it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, here the writer Isaiah is telling the Israelites, hey, don't stay where you are. Don't just stay here remembering all these old things. I'm trying to do a new thing. If I were to put it in my language today, I'd say, hey, Israelites, let's get moving forward. Hey, family life, let's get moving forward. Amen? And in this passage of Scripture, we can see three things that hindered us from moving forward. Isaiah says to them, do not earnestly remember the former things. Well, if you're taking notes, the former things, things in their past, the first thing that we have to do if you and I are going to move forward is we've got to stop stop cursing the past and start moving forward. So look at your neighbor and say, stop cursing it. Now, anybody have a clue what I mean by that? I better have a clue. I'm preaching. What I mean by that is simply this. We've got to stop speaking evil of the past 
Because God can use everything for our good. Alright? That's a true statement right there. Quit speaking evil of your past because God can use everything for our good. Look, here's the truth, okay? Life hurts at times, right? We know that. And I'm not saying pretend nothing bad ever happened. That's not what we're saying at all. What we're saying is, quit cursing that bad thing as the worst thing that ever happened to you. Quit talking about your past as in, you know, if this had never happened, well, I could be here, but this happened, so I'm not. Quit cursing your past. Every experience that we go through in life, every experience has two possible outcomes, if I'm going to be honest with you. No matter what you go through, there's two outcomes. You can go through something horrible, and it makes you turn your back on God. You can go through something horrible, and it makes you turn to God. You can go through something great. You can be blessed beyond measure and make you say, hey, God, I don't need you. I'm blessed beyond measure. Or you can go through something incredible and say, God, i got to turn to you because if you don't help me, this will kill me. Everything we go through either turns us away from God or turns us to God. And when we always look back on our past, cursing those things that happened, speaking negatively about those things that happened to us, we're going to end up in trouble. Let me give you this key thought. The way that I speak about the things that are outside of me will directly affect what happens inside of me. Latch on to that for a moment. The way that you and I speak about the things that are happening outside of us directly affect what happens inside of us. So if you're always speaking about past experiences in your life in a negative way, cursing this, cursing that, well, I, I cursed the day this happened to me. I wish that never would have happened to me. And if I ever run into that guy again, I got something for him. If you're always speaking like that, it is going to affect your heart. There's this little principle in the Bible that God set forth and he hasn't stopped it yet. It's called sowing and reaping. I want you guys to reap abundant fruit in your lives. I want you to reap blessings in your life. God wants you to reap and experience blessings in your life. And it will not happen if the only way that you look at your past is with a hateful, curseful attitude. Let's look at what the Scripture says in Proverbs 18.21. The Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it for death or for life. What are you saying about your past? I'm not saying paint the thing that was horrible as something that was beautiful, but are you talking about that in a redemptive manner? Are you talking about from this thing, I see that God can produce fruit in my life. From this thing, I see that I was turned to Christ. Or are you just constantly cursing the evils in your past? When we curse our past pains and struggles or heartbreaks, you know what we're actually declaring? It's as if we're saying, hey, you know what, God? You're really not all powerful. Because this thing that happened to me, it's bigger than you. Think about it. When we look back and say, 
curse the day I was born or curse the day this happened to me when that's our attitude. It's what, what we're saying is, you know what, God, you are not big enough to fix this problem. You can't do anything. Last time I checked, God is still all powerful, still able to do anything with any situation. Look, he didn't have anything to work with and he made the world and the universe. Surely he can do something with lives that are broken and messed up. Don't you think so? He did it with me. Did he do it with you? He's still working in me. Is he still working in you? So stop cursing it. Stop cursing it. God will turn every situation into our advantage. The Bible tells us so in Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes. How many things work together? All things. Everything. Everything. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love Him. Does God cause everything to work for your good? You can, you can respond. Does God cause everything to work for your good? Yeah, see, it makes me feel like I'm doing better. And then I go a little bit faster and then we get to Chili's quicker, okay? I know where your minds are at. Fasting's around the corner. I only got so many more days to eat out after lunch, after church. Right? Let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. When Jesus died on the cross, was it a gruesome death? Yes. Was it, was it more painful than anything you've ever experienced? Well, I mean, was it horrible? Would you want to go through that yourself? No. I wouldn't either. Would you curse the day that Christ died on the cross? Why? Because that's what ensured our salvation. That's what ensured our victory, right? No one would, it was a, we all agree, it was a tragic event. It was a horrible event. On the human scale, it was a wicked, wicked evil what was done to him. Yet none of us would curse that day. Why? Because it provided victory for you and I. So in the same way, why would we curse our past? Although it may have been horrible, although it may have been tragic, is God's redemptive power just as strong and able to do something in your past as he did with the horrible accident, or not accident, but tragedy that happened to Christ? When did his redemptive power stop or cease? It hasn't. It hasn't. Think about this. The scripture says, I love it. The scripture says that the devil is stupid. It does. It does. I'm not lying to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Listen to this. Paul writes, We speak of God's wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. And in parentheses, you could put the devil. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If the devil really had a clue of what he was doing, he would have never done anything to ensure that Christ would die on the cross. He was sealing his own fate when he encouraged the religious leaders to crucify Christ. Had he realized what would happen to him in his kingdom when Christ went to the cross, he would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Can I tell you, if the devil would realize what God is going to do through your life as God redeems your past, as he takes your your tragedies and turns them into triumphs, he would never lay another finger on you. But he doesn't. 
He always underestimates God's ability to transform your life, to turn something horrible and make it something beautiful. And I promise you this, in the very place that the devil has tried to hurt you, that's the very place that God is going to give you authority over the devil's kingdom. Every single time. So stop cursing it. Say, stop cursing it. The only chance, the only chance the devil has to stop you and I is to trick us into cursing our lives and cursing our situations and cursing our pasts. Because the way that we speak about our past will directly affect our connection to God right now and it directly affects the future that we're going to experience. Let's think about Joseph. Pastor Todd just finished an incredible series about Joseph. Joseph, a man in the Old Testament who was betrayed by his family, thrown into slavery, from slavery, falsely accused and thrown into prison. How many of you would like that on your resume? Forgotten about in prison, but not by God. God elevated him to the second highest position in his land. And when Joseph spoke about his past, this is how he spoke. In Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph said, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Can God not take the hurts and pains of your past and turn them into something good for you that will also accomplish the saving of many lives through you. Last I checked, he still does. Think about the life of David. David, the the man that the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. He loved God. He wasn't perfect. Far from it. Falling into pride. He commits adultery. He commits murder. He's not the best of the best. But he loved God. And this is what he said of his past. In Psalm 119, verse 67, David wrote, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now your word do I keep hearing, receiving, loving, and obeying it. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now because of these trials I've gone through, I know how to keep your word. I know the benefit of it. I'm going to keep on hearing. I'm going to keep on obeying. I'm going to keep on reading. I'm going to keep on staying close to you. He goes on to say a few verses later, in verse 71, he says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. It's good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. I'm just thinking out of this now, maybe because my mom is here in the second service with us. Everyone say, hi mom. mom. I remember um, about six, five, six, what? Six, five, six years ago, when Emily uh, was going through uh, her ordeal with this, with this brain disease, I remember one day I was talking to my mom on the phone, one of those like, just pouring your heart out like, life is horrible, why is that? You know, you got those moments, okay? Even men have those moments. Men, can we be honest? We have those moments. And I remember my mom was talking to me and um, she started sharing with me about um, when my mom and dad lost their first child. At, at two and a half years old. Um, I wasn't even born at the time. And she said, you know, not that I would ever wish that on anybody, not that I even want to go through that again, but she said, you know what? I learned. I got to see a side of the heart of God 
that I would have never been exposed to had I not walked through that. That's what David is saying. He's saying, you know, I'm not like, not that we want to go through trials in life, but you know what? We can go through them and end up closer to God, stronger because of it. Stop cursing it. God wants to use the things in your past to draw you closer to Him. Think about Proverbs 18.21. Let it be read it again to you, but in a different translation. Listen to this. Words kill and words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. I said it before, but I'll say it again. The way that you speak about your past directly affects your here and now and your future. Stop cursing your past and start moving forward. Once you begin to get that under control, our key verse of Scripture in Isaiah gives us something else to work on. Let's read that verse again. It says this in Isaiah 43. Where is it? Here we are. Do not earnestly remember the former things, neither consider the things of old. Do not earnestly remember the former things, Neither consider the things of old. Point number two, stop rehearsing it and move forward. Everyone repeat that with me. Say, stop rehearsing it and move forward. What do I mean by that? This is what I mean. Don't live in your yesterdays because God has something new for you today. Don't live in yesterday. Because God has something new for you today. Don't allow past hurts and disappointments to control your here and now. Let me say that again because that's good. I need to hear that again. Don't allow past hurts and disappointments to control your here and now. A great example of this is from one of my all-time favorite movies. Anyone like movies in here? Movies are not evil, just so you know. Not all movies are evil, I should say that. One of my favorite, all-time favorite movies, Napoleon Dynamite. Who's seen Napoleon Dynamite? Come on, yes, yes, yes. Does it reveal my IQ? Yes, I don't care, I love it anyway. Okay, and in Napoleon Dynamite, there is a character, Uncle Rico. Uncle Rico, uh, I actually did the math in researching because I want this to be a very correct sermon. Uh, Uncle Rico is probably right around 40 years of age, right around there. And Uncle Rico is single. He doesn't really have a job that we know of. And he lives in a van out in the middle of a field. He spends his time making videos of himself throwing footballs. Of which he's not even good at that. And all throughout the movie, Uncle Rico is always making statements of like, back in 82, I could throw a pigskin a quarter mile. How much you want to bet I could throw a football over the mountains? Always living in the past. He says, in fact, one time they're having this conversation, he says, he says, man, you ever wish you could go back in time? Man, if I could just, if I could just go back. If coach would have put me in in the fourth quarter, we'd have won state. I know it. I'd have gone pro, I'd be making millions of dollars, I'd be living in a mansion, soaking it up in a hot tub somewhere with my soulmate. 
I mean, talk about rehearsing the past over and over and over again. Listen, he rehearsed it so much. He rehearsed it to his own detriment, actually, to tell you the truth. When asked about um, his girlfriend, Tammy, his nephew Kip says, so you and Tammy still together? <laughs> Uncle Rico says, nah, not really. Why is that? Kip talks kind of funny. And Uncle Rico says, oh, she's jealous. Says I'm living too much in 82. He can't even keep a girlfriend because he's rehearsing the past so much. Isn't that ridiculous? But why do you and I do the same thing? Why do we keep rehearsing the past over and over and over again? You know, I'm amazed at how powerful our memories are. You close your eyes and you start to remember past experiences and all of a sudden, man, you're smelling the smells that you once smelled. You're hearing even the background noise. It's almost like even like the atmosphere changes, the air changes. You feel like I'm back in that moment. And all of a sudden your mind has the same thoughts and your heart has those same emotions. It's like you've never left. Can I tell you something? Some of you are rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing your past so much that all you're doing is constantly feeding the pain and feeding the sorrow and feeding the disappointment and feeding the heart because you're running that DVD over and over and over and over and over again. Stop rehearsing it. It's not 82. You know, another funny thing about our memories is that Maybe you're not guilty of this, but I am. I usually tend to think of the bad times as like worse than they really were and the good times as better than they really were. And without someone else in my life to say, it really wasn't that bad, you don't remember it, right? Or someone to say, hey, you know what? You really weren't that good. <laughs> I fall into a vicious cycle. A vicious cycle. Paul talked about that cycle. Which gives us this key thought. Let me read this key thought to you. When I inaccurately rehearse my past, I build dangerous strongholds within myself. Thank you. I like it. Let me read it again if you're taking notes here. When I inaccurately rehearse my past, I build dangerous strongholds within myself. Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul writes, the truth is, That although, of course, we lead normal human lives, the battle we are fighting is on the spiritual level. The very weapons we use are not those of human warfare, but powerful in God's warfare for the destruction of the enemy's strongholds. Our battle is to bring down every deceptive fantasy and every imposing defense that men erect against the true knowledge of God. We even fight to capture every thought until it acknowledges the authority of Christ. What Paul is saying here is when you keep on rehearsing, but they hurt me, but they hurt me, but they hurt me. When you keep on rehearsing, but I didn't like that. It didn't feel good. It didn't, it didn't. When you keep rehearsing it over and over and over again, you are building a stronghold in your own mind and a stronghold in your own heart that is keeping you bound and captive to the things in your past. And the Bible is saying, don't do it. Stop rehearsing it. Isaiah says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it and know it? Will you not give heed to it? Can I tell you this? As long as you continue to rehearse the the old, you can't recognize the new. 
You can be so bound up from rehearsing your past. God tries to bring you relationships that will heal you. He tries to bring you events and moments that will prosper you. He tries to bring you opportunities to bless you and you can't see it. You can't receive it. Why? Because you've been rehearsing over and over and over again. The thing that happens with these strongholds is this. It taints the way that you see everything and it taints the way that you experience everything. Like, like one person dumps you in high school and then the rest of your life, because you don't get past that, you keep rehearsing that, that emo- and I'm not saying it feels good. But I'm saying because you keep living there, you can't receive love when it comes to you. You can't receive a genuine friendship when God tries to bring it to you. You can't even get intimate with Christ because you're thinking he's going to reject you too. It's a stronghold that builds up in your life when you keep rehearsing the past with an inaccurate lens. It's like you're trying to read a book with someone else's prescription. You're not seeing things clearly. You're not getting the right message. You're not receiving things the right way. Stop rehearsing it. Did your, did your mom ever tell you to not pick at scabs? And what was the reason? It'll never heal. Quit picking at it. It won't heal. Stop rehearsing it. Or it won't heal. Don't allow past hurts and disappointments to control the here and now. So, okay, so how do we do that? How do we not allow that anymore? Let me tell you. You need to release the mercy of God into your past. You need to release the mercy of God into your past. Listen to James chapter 2. James writes to us and he says this, Whenever you speak or whatever you do, whatever you think we could say, remember that you will be judged by the law of love, the law that set you free. For there will be no mercy for you if you have not been merciful to others. But if you have been merciful, then God's mercy toward you will win out over his judgment against you. Let me say it like this. When you think about and talk about your past, filter it through the mercy of God. I'm not not saying that it was right that somebody hurt you. But filter that through the mercy of God. Without the mercy of God in their life, they will hurt others. God. Give that man mercy. God, give that woman mercy. Lord, without the mercy of God, this thing will bind me up and keep me right here. And God, I know that you're calling me to move forward. So so Lord, I just release mercy over that. Not that it was right, but God, you can do something with it. Filter your thoughts and your words about your past through God's mercy. Jesus said this in Mark 11, 25. He said, whenever you stand praying... If you have anything against anyone, forgive him and let it drop, leave it and let it go in order that your father who is in heaven may also forgive you your own failings and shortcomings and let them drop. His words are clear to us. Forgive it. Drop it. Leave it. Let it go. I know there's some women that have been hurt by men in here today. But not all men 
are jerks. There's some men in here that have been hurt by women. You know what? Not all women are jerks. There's some kids in here that had parents that did far less than the standard that Jesus would have done had He been a parent. But not all parents are like that. Forgive it. Leave it. Drop it. Let it go. Stop rehearsing it. Luke 6, 27 and 28, Jesus said, I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. He's saying don't rehearse your past, but respond to it by extending mercy. Let me give you a cool example of this. There's a girl in our church. She's not here today. She's, uh, she goes to UL. She's from Texas, but she goes to UL. Her name's Blair. She's in our college group. And I sent out an email to our college students just saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to be preaching along these lines. Anybody got any cool stories or anything I can use? And, and I think what she sent was pretty incredible. I want to read it to you. I have, I have her permission to do this. She writes, as I'm sure you know, I'm now a retired college volleyball player. I recently heard a sermon from a former college athlete, now a pastor at my church here in Dallas, in which he led nine teammates to Christ after his personal encounter with the Lord the summer before his senior year of college. I look back on my time as a college athlete and can't say that I've led one person on my team to Christ, let alone nine. After leaving the service, I felt like my commitment to volleyball for the past ten years was fruitless selfish and totally motivated by my own desires to be successful. I struggled greatly my junior year of college. I wanted to succeed, but for my own benefit. God had other plans, and I failed miserably that season. I prayed hard over the summer going into my senior year, and God gave me so much success on the court. I had no other season as good as this past one, but it was my last one. That was it. I can't do any more. I had finally gained confidence in myself, but I realized my confidence isn't what mattered. My connection with God is what did. I thought my ministry would stem from volleyball, something I poured a big part of my life into, but I don't know yet. I'm now getting ready to bike across the country this summer to build homes for affordable housing projects along the southern United States. I haven't poured 10 years into biking or building homes but God is giving me the opportunity to share Him and spread His kingdom across the country. Just because I haven't seen what I think is sustainable fruit from my time on the volleyball team doesn't mean it isn't there. I can't let the devil have that victory. I have to let that go because God has this wonderful opportunity to use me now. I may not touch a volleyball for the next 10 years, but that's okay. I can let that go because God has a plan. Come on. Can I encourage you this morning? Stop rehearsing it and move forward. Let the past go so that you can grab on to what God is trying to do today. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, The unfailing love of the Lord never ends. By His mercy we've been kept from complete destruction. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each day. You know what that verse tells me? That although we've gone through horrible things in life, we're still here and that's because of His mercy. 
we were kept from complete destruction. And He has fresh mercy for us today. It's time to stop rehearsing past pains and start living in God's mercy today. Amen? Now, some of you may be thinking, all right, Nick, you know, you're preaching to people that have like, you know, a great testimony. All this stuff in their past, all these pains, you know, but I got to be honest with you, 2012 was really a great year for me. I mean, my life has been pretty good. Things are doing pretty good. I mean, like, I'm at a high point in life, if I got to be honest with you. You know what? I'm happy for you. I'm glad for you. I feel like I'm kind of there myself. But you know, our text still applies to you and I. Let's read this again. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Do not earnestly remember the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing, and now it springs forth. Do you not perceive and know it? And will you not give heed to it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. When God says, do not earnestly remember the former things nor consider the things of old, in the Scriptures prior to that, He had just reminded the Israelites about the miracles that He had done in the wilderness. He had actually reminded them about the good things that He had done to deliver them from Egypt. And then He says, now don't remember those anymore. I did great stuff for you. Don't remember it. I want to do something new. So, the word to you and I is, of course, it's got to rhyme to be a good preacher, right? We're not, we're not cursing it and we're not rehearsing it, but what you and I need to do is we need to, we need to stop nursing it. Yeah, you ever get an injury and you just kind of nurse it, you just kind of protect it? Get tennis elbow and just, you nursing it? Well, the Lord, word of the Lord to us would be like, hey, stop nursing it. Quit, quit. Let me say it like this. Don't protect the events gone by or the the days gone by as if God can't do something better for you now. And let me say it another way. Don't stay in the moment any longer than God does. Okay? Look, if God is still doing something awesome, stay there. But if He has moved on, you should too. Okay? You really, really should. If anything, the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years, it taught us God's always moving. You better stay with them. If we live, if we keep trying to protect the days gone by, if we keep nursing our past, it's as if we're saying, hey, you know what, God, I think that's all you can do. I I don't think you can do any more than that. That was so good, God, I'm sure that you can't top that. I'm all right with that. I mean, it's like we're saying, hey, Lord... (laughs) I think, you're, I think you've lost a bit of your game. No. No, God hasn't lost his game. You're just stuck in an old season. Ecclesiastes encourages us with this. Ecclesiastes 7.10. The Bible says, Don't long for the good old days, for you don't know whether they were any better than today. Remember we said earlier we tend to remember our past as better than it really was? Quit nursing the good old days. Quit nursing it. My dad had knee surgery this year on July 9th. He had a complete knee surgery. So he's like the bionic man now. And that was really, honestly, that was a great day for my dad because his knee was given a whole lot of pain. He hurt him to walk. He couldn't work. All this kind of stuff. So July 9th was a great day. He got a bionic knee. He even goes like when he walks. It's amazing. 
You got to be at least, I don't know, 33 years old to know what that is. I just lost like half the audience there. Anyway, go, go watch like some like um, TV that has old reruns on cable. I don't know. I don't even have cable. Anyway, okay. Back to, the, back to my dad. Hey, my dad had knee surgery on July 9th. Did I tell you that? So anyways, that day was a great day. A great day for my dad. And there was a season where he got to stay in the hospital because they wanted to protect their knee. But that didn't last forever. They sent him home. My dad's nice, but apparently he's not that nice. Then there was a season where he just laid on the couch mainly at the house and everything like that, nursing his knee. But you know what? Even that season had to come to an end. On October the 19th of this year, my dad had another great day. If he was here, I'd tell you, I I, I bet he'd tell you it was probably a way better day than July 9th. You see, October 19th of this year, my dad was hiking in the mountains of Idaho, chasing elk, which is one of his all-time favorite pastimes. Now, let me ask you this. If he'd have stayed on that couch or stayed in that hospital bed nursing that knee, would he ever have gotten to do something greater and better? In the same way, if we keep nursing the past, we won't be able to move on to something new. A great example of this we see in Scripture is found in Numbers. The people of Israel. We always pick on them, but I mean, we could pick on the people of family life. We could call them the people of America. We could really, we could put any title in there. It just happens to be the nation of Israel because it's in the Bible. Numbers 21. Listen to this passage of Scripture. The people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient along the way. See why we could throw any people group in there? And they began to murmur against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There's nothing to eat here, nothing to drink. We hate this wretched manna. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among them. And many of them were bitten and died. That's not so funny. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people, and then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to the top of a pole. Those who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze, and they attached it to the top of a pole. Whenever those who were bitten looked at the bronze snake, they recovered. Whoa. Is that not awesome? Especially for those who had been bitten by a snake. Right? I mean, think of it. God has just done this amazing, supernatural, miraculous, inexplicable event in the life of the nation of Israel. I mean, I'll bet they're like, this is the greatest day of my life. All I have to do is look at the serpent and I am healed. Woo! I mean, it, no, it was awesome. I'm telling you, it was awesome. They loved it. It was powerful. But that's not where the story ends. If we read in 2 Kings chapter 18, we find something really, really interesting about the nation of Israel. Look at this with me. Hezekiah did right in the sight of the Lord. He's one of the kings. According to all that David, his forefather, had done. Look at this. He removed the high places. He broke the images. He cut down the ashram and 
broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until then the Israelites had burned incense to it, but he called it Nehushtan, a bronze trifle. It was approximately 700 years later that what God meant for a moment was still being idolized by the nation. That tells me, stop nursing it. Move forward. I'm thankful for moves of God in the past. I'm thankful for victories in the past. I'm thankful for what He's done in my life. But you know what? I can't stay there. I can't idolize it and make some monument to it and form some denomination around it and then, and then get so locked up into religious bondage that now I'm connected to whitewashed sepulchers and empty tombs and the living things of God are over there and I have no idea about it. Stop nursing it and move forward. Listen to what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3. Paul this is the guy that like, once he became a Christian, okay, he, he evangelized his then known world. He planted churches in like every city that he went to. He raised up leaders and disciples and pastors. He uh, got the revelation from Jesus to write two thirds of the New Testament. Guy was pretty close to God, did a lot of things for God. More notches on his belt than on mine. Okay. And this is his attitude. Look at Philippians chapter three. Paul writes, everything that was a gain to me I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and I consider them filth that I may gain Christ. Just a few verses later, he writes this. I do not consider, brethren, that I've captured and made it my own yet, but one thing I do, it's my one aspiration. Forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting about all the churches he's planted. Forgetting about all the miracles he's seen. Not resting on, man, I've done enough for God. No. He said, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. All of the signs and wonders and miracles, all, of this, all the salvations, all the churches, everything. He said, that was then. I want what God has for me today. I want to move forward. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Do you not see it? Do you not know it? You won't see it or know it if you keep nursing the past. Regardless of what we've already experienced in God, He wants to continue to blow our minds if we'll let Him. God is the ultimate mind bomb. Like, putting the headphone jack on the bottom is nothing compared to what God can do. You like those commercials? I like those commercials. I like sarcasm. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this. This is what the Scripture means when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love them. In other words, if you try to figure out just how awesome God is and just try to imagine the incredible things that He could do in spite of what already has happened that's been incredible, mind bomb. Brain oozing out the ears like, oh, 
He says it again in Ephesians 3.20. Now glory be to God by His mighty power at work within us. God is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever ask or dare. That tells me that even if you're in a season where like, man, everything is awesome. It's as if God has given me the mightiest touch. It's wonderful. That is nothing compared to what's coming around the corner. How many of you can receive that kind of word? I'll take it right here. Listen, don't nurse the past. Otherwise, start, start telling yourself there's more. Start telling yourself there's more. Otherwise, what you'll end up doing is cursing what God is doing right here and right now. One of my greatest fears in life, to be honest, because I I really plan on spending the remainder of my life serving Jesus with every ounce of strength I possibly have. But one of my greatest fears is that I don't want to be one of those guys that says, it was better in my day than what's going on now. I don't want to be I don't want to be the I don't want to be the guy that tells some teenager who just gets saved, "Oh, you'll cool down. You'll lose your fire in a while." Like I want to be like 92 years old, knees creaking and still be like Come on, are you hearing me? Are you feeling me? I'm not going to nurse the past. I'm moving forward because God is always on the move. So here's what we're going to do, church. I'll close with this. We're going to stop cursing it. We're going to stop rehearsing it. We're going to stop nursing it. And we're going to move forward. We're going to move forward. But let me ask you this question first. We're closing right now. I'm getting ready to land the plane. Let me ask you this question. Be honest. Have you been cursing your past? Have you been rehearsing the past? Are you nursing the past? I don't know. I mean, I can't look at your face and tell. But you know. You know what God is saying to your heart right now this morning. He's saying, stop it. Leave it. Let it go. Drop it. It's time to release mercy over that thing. It's time to start speaking about God's redemptive ability in the midst of that. It's time for you to be free of that destructive stronghold. It's time to experience His mercy and His grace and the fresh move that He is bringing today. You know, we looked at three verses of Scripture and I want to revisit them real quick because it's really, really important that we do. You know, we read Romans 8, 28 that said, all things work together for the good of those who love God. And And that's really a key phrase right there. All things do work together for good. For those who love God. And let me just ask you this question today. Where is your love for God? 
How much do you love them today? Like, do you love them like, like you like ketchup on your french fries? Or do you love him like he is the most precious, wonderful, incredible person you've ever met? We had another scripture in the notes. I never did get there. But in Timothy, Paul said, Paul said this. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I was the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Let me ask you this question this morning. Have you experienced the mercy of God? When Paul was touched by the mercy of God, it changed how he looked at his past. It no longer bound him. That touch of mercy brought Paul into eternal life. Have you experienced eternal life? Let me read you this last passage of Scripture. It's in John chapter 3. You guys remember that bronze snake that we talked about? Listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus is talking here, and this is what He says. In John 3.14, He said, As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness... So I, the Son of Man, must be lifted up on a pole so that everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Can I ask you today, have you turned and looked upon the Savior on a pole, placed your belief and trust in Him and said, Jesus, I want to live for You. Because the reality is, everything that we're talking about today, church, the ability to stop cursing your past, you don't have it in your own strength. The ability to stop rehearsing those hurts and pains, You can't do that either without God. The ability to stop nursing it. No, without God, we'll get quite content where we are. Worship our own idol for 700 years. And I want to give you an invitation today. How are you going to move forward? How is any of this done? It's by turning your eyes to Jesus. He was lifted up high on a cross. He gave His life for you. So that by giving your life to Him, for ask, by asking Him to forgive you of all of your sins, you could experience His mercy, His eternal life, and His redemption for your past. I'm going to ask that everyone would bow their heads and close their eyes. and I want you to just be honest with us for a second. Be honest with the Lord for a second. This is the last Sunday in 2013. Maybe this year has been terrible for you. You still have an opportunity. You still have a chance to let the greatest two days of 2013 be ahead of you. 
Maybe you had a great year in 2012, but you realize you really aren't far from God. You haven't, you're far from Him. You've not experienced His mercy. You don't know Him. And you need to give your life to Him today. I want to give you that opportunity. I believe there's people in here that you need to get your life right with Jesus today. And here's what I'm going to ask. Simply going to ask this, that at the count of three, I want you to lift your hands. By lifting your hands, you're just saying, I need Jesus. I need Him to forgive me. I want to live for Jesus. On the count of three, I know that you're ready. I know that you're here. One, two, three. Let me see those hands. You want to give your life to Jesus. I see your hands over here on my left, in the back. I see hands all over, hands here in the middle. I see hands in the back on my right. Hands close to me here, front on my right. Hands are in the back on my right. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Listen, I'm going to ask everyone to stand, and I'm going to ask just one more thing. One more thing. Everyone stand, but I'm going to ask one more thing. Everyone, you raised your hand and said, I want to get my life right with Jesus. Before this year is over, I want to change how I end 2012. You said, I want to change it being right with Jesus. You raised your hand. Would you come forward? Our pastors are going to come forward to pray with you, but would you come forward? I know, I know it, I know it. God wants you to experience Him today. Where are you? Come on, come forward. Don't be embarrassed and don't be shy. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. It's the most incredible decision you could ever make is to give your life to Christ and let Him redeem your past. Come on, there's others of you. I know you are here. I know you're here. We're not here to embarrass you. We all have to make this decision. We've all made this decision at one point or another. If I can have some altar workers come and pray here. Now church, let me ask you this one other question. For those of you who are still standing out there, are you ready for 2013? Are you ready for what God is wanting to do in the new year? It's time to stop cursing. It's time to stop rehearsing and stop nursing it. And move forward. How many of you guys are ready to move forward? Let me just see your hands moving forward. Come on. Look, I want you to say say this with me. Say, Jesus, I am moving forward with you. Lord, I have great expectations for the year ahead of me. I'm thankful for the past. I praise you for your redemptive power. And I have great expectations of the new things that you're doing in my life in this coming year. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, God bless you. Thank you so much for coming this morning. Our altars are open. We'll be here to pray with you if you have a need of any kind. I am excited about seeing you guys next Sunday and seeing what God is going to do in your lives in 2013. God bless you. Happy New Year. Amen.